Hello, listeners. Welcome to another new episode of Those Who Can't Do Podcast. My name is Gina, and I'm here with my editor, producer, co-host, and husband, Matt. Hello. We're just two teachers navigating this crazy world we call teaching. With this episode, we are discussing public, private, and charter schools, the differences, and we're so excited to have two guests, Judy and Matthew, with us. Here with us are two special guests for this very special two-part podcast. We have Judy and Matthew. So Judy, can you introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. I'm Judy and I have been teaching um, for 12 years. Uh, The last year um, that I was in education, I was a principal and uh, now I am retired. And Matthew? Yeah, I'm Matthew. Uh, This is my 21st year of teaching. I taught uh, eight years at a middle school in Long Beach, about 600 kids, so public school. And then I taught about another five years at a big comprehensive high school, also in Long Beach, so 5,000 kids. And then my family and I made a move to rural Kern County, where I took a job at a charter school. So now I'm a high school and middle school English teacher at a very small charter school. Very nice. Uh, Matt, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, I'm Matt. <laughs> I've been here before. I've been teaching for five years. Thank you. I, I'm loving this, the very, very appropriate and very educational responses. Very nice. I'm <laughs> Gina. I also teach. Okay, so we're here for this podcast to talk about the differences and pros and cons when it comes to public, private, and charter schools. Um, they We don't really know much about them when you're kind of in your own school. So to see and hear from the three types of schools is like is going to be a very interesting topic, I think. So before we dive into it, we're going to briefly explain the differences between the three types of schools based on understood.org. And I understood it, so I guess it should be <laughs> fine. An aptly named website. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> okay. So public schools, uh, a brief summary, it's run by local school, uh, school districts, funded by the public, and must follow all state and federal education laws. Cool. Charter schools are independent public schools funded by the public or private donors, so we've got public or private uh, charter schools, and must follow education laws but have a little bit of freedom with some of those rules. Well, and that's the whole point is that the freedom comes from the charter. Like, yes. That's why, right? Exactly. And um, private schools are run by private organizations. They're funded privately, and there's little to no government oversight. So the key differences um, are a lot to do with the application process and costs. Okay. So kids, uh, if they need, so the kids who have to apply to schools uh, are charter schools and private schools. Public schools, you don't need to apply. However, some public schools have things called magnet schools that would require um, an application process. There's also some public school choice options. So if a public school can enroll in the choice option, then they do have an application list. So there is some freedom there, but that's the choice by them. Mm -hmm. Just to note down that you can kind of also alternate around there. Yeah, but the public schools kind of, they they cater to the every child. So eventually a, a child has to be accepted into a public school. Yeah. Um, and of course, is it free to attend public schools? Yes. Charters? Yes. And private schools? No. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to, uh, 
you'd have to pay some type of um, tuition. So for this episode, now that we know what the differences are, uh, for this episode, we are discussing exactly what schools do for their students, and we will be diving into the key differences between the three to better explore and understand how each school is educating our children. Um, now, for background reference, uh, my student teaching was at a charter school. My first teaching job was at a private school, and now I'm at a public school. Um, so I'm going to play host during this podcast because I have a little bit of knowledge in all of our uh just surface level yeah very surface level information for all yes so for this we're gonna have uh designated roles so matt's going to be playing like the public school professional um all know it all because yeah my only experience has been working for public schools so i don't have any charter or private school experience in my education field i went straight into la yeah judy uh you were a private school teacher and principal so you will be giving us that type of viewpoint and Matthew is from a charter school like he said and he'll give a although he has some public school experience so he could also give us that but we're gonna we're gonna designate you as the charter school stay within your bubble I'll try to stay in my lane stay in your lane man (laughs) so let's start with curriculum what is taught at your school so what are you allowed to teach and what are you not allowed to teach let's start with Matt the public school designee Oh, okay. So, wait. So, am I going with what's taught at my school? What are you... Yeah, let's start with what's taught at your school. Okay. Well, I go... I run with English for the most part. Um, We do really short novels or, you know, blurbs of text as the actual curriculum content that we're doing. I have a lot of freedom in our curriculum at our school in particular, um, which is really nice for us. But I've also taught in public schools where uh, we had very strict lesson planning that was done in a group where we were all running with the same kind of lessons and kind of building our whole curriculum together. So the students flowed between grades. That was the main idea. So we didn't cover the same content between grades, but that was also middle school as well. I think it is a little bit more structured anyway. I have a lot more freedom now in high school, especially with older grades. You can kind of have more conversations, more projects, that kind of thing. And so a lot of it ends up going that way. I'm also in project-based learning in general. So we have all project-based learning. There's very few tests or assessments that are happening in group. So there's less pressure there from my end. But then again, I've also been in public schools where that was very strict assessment schedules. You were doing an assessment every month. You had to make sure the students were prepared for that specific assessment so that they were able to pass the assessment. That meant just your lessons were incredibly limited. You had to cover the content that was put forward. There were certain texts you had to read to cover that content. So I've also been in that situation where we didn't really get to cover all of that information that we wanted to. Okay, so a lot of openness in public schools. So, Matthew, can you tell us what you teach uh, and what is taught at your charter school? Sure. So, like Matt, um, I, I also run in the English crowd department. Um, and like Matt also, I would have to adhere to the California state standards, um, which kind of set broad topics and, and goals for students in learning. And then within that, I would, again, like Matt, mm-hmm. have uh, freedom to, to pick and choose. Um, so for my particular classes, um, I teach 10th, 11th, and 7th grade. Um, mm-hmm. I've always based my class around novel studies, um, mostly because the best English teachers I had growing up taught mm-hmm. novels, not oh, yeah. textbooks. I do have a textbook. Um, do so you I can use ju- it? By, I'm <laughs> jumping in. I don't use the textbook. I'm not going to lie. 
Do you, How, do you have lawyers for this podcast? <laughs> uh, so we're going to scratch that and move on. According to Williams Law, every one of my students has a textbook issued yes. to them at the so beginning of every year, and I do collect it at lawyers. the end of every year. And what happens Same. in between the first day of school and the last day of school to that textbook is, is up to your imagination. So, uh, But yeah, I, so I teach novels. The one thing that's unique about our charter is we are a hybrid um, homeschool and traditional school. Yeah. So I see students two days a week on campus or pre-pandemic, I saw students two days yeah. a week on campus. Now I see students two days a week on Zoom. Um, <laughs> some of them see me. Um, and and uh, then the other three days a week, the parents are responsible. So the, the one differentiating factor, which you know it would separate me from what Matt's probably experienced is um, parents at according to our charter which kind of sets forth our you know limits and guidelines for what we can do at the charter parents have the right to design independent study courses so they could look at my curriculum and decide oh that guy's way too progressive or way too conservative or whatever else they whatever conclusion they might draw yeah. and then they could submit a course curriculum saying these are the 10 novels that we're going to read this year and the way we're going to address nonfiction and the way we're going to teach grammar and syntax and vocabulary and all that stuff. And then I would, you know, be free to, to make recommendations or adjustments. And then we would agree on a course of study for them and they could assume responsibility for their students. That's so interesting because that's a level of adaptation that we're definitely not having to deal with at all in any kind of way. Like if the, if the parent doesn't like it, tough. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's like... Well, and I walked into <laughs> charter schools with that attitude, and you can imagine how popular I was the first year of oh, yeah. uh, teaching at a charter school because I was like, "This is my class; take it or leave it," you know. And people left it. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> just kidding. So. Yeah, <laughs> not a lot. Well, they, they all came back. I, I'm fine now. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine now, Judy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, um, Judy, what did what is taught at or what was taught at your pri uh, private school? Well, um, we were unique in that we are a Christian classical school. And so our um, primary focus is teaching everything through the filter of scripture. And the kids go through scripture three times from K through 12th grade, once in K through sixth grade, again, seventh to 10th grade, and again, 11th, um, yeah, 11th and 12th grade. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, seventh to ninth. 10 to 12th. Um, so retired, you're forgetting already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So everything we teach, that is our primary focus. The curriculum that we use is classical in that um, we teach it at a certain stage, um, K through sixth grade, and then again, seventh to ninth grade, and again, 10 through 12th. So in K through sixth grade, there's a lot of memorization of facts, learning the grammar of each subject, and um, hopefully that there's retention there. <laughs> so well, that as a teacher, do you have diversity in what you're teaching within the K through six, or is it pretty strict set by the school throughout the whole thing? Um, it's very strict set by the school throughout okay. the whole thing. It's not following um, what the state mandates. Yeah. It's, it's completely created by us. We have course lead sheets for every grade. We follow a course of study. Um, there is not much parameter for the teachers and what they're teaching, but in how they teach that, yes. that is where they have freedom yes. and creativity and they utilize that. We have some excellent teachers that um, then take whatever it is that we're teaching. And 
our pace can vary depending on the class and the personality of the class. And so if at any point, it, we're not slaves to the curriculum by any means. So if for some reason, we're not able to get through the entire book, that is not the primary goal so much as did the students learn anything in any one day. Yeah, that's kind of how the private school I was at. They they didn't really care so much of what we were teaching as long as we were meeting, because we had as to follow content. Yeah, and as long as we met the standards, because mm-hmm. they, they we were transitioning to Common Core state standards, and but there was a little bit of like, you either had to ask permission or ask forgiveness in what you were teaching. So you know you had to be very careful of the things you had to teach in, in the private school I was at. So uh, I kind of see that we're you know, we weren't slaves to any type of curriculum either. Like we were not told we have to use the textbook. If you can bring in something, that's great. You just had to also you know, take that risk of, is what I'm bringing in going to upset anyone? So it was, it's good and bad. You had the creativity, but you didn't have that, like, that limit. I would would throw in there too, maybe there's a kind of an underlying reality for any school that I've worked at that at some point, at least as an English teacher, you, you end up taking the walk to the book room and then you find the shelf that's your grade level shelf. Mm -hmm. And there's, mini novels and textbooks and things mm-hmm. and and those are the sort of raw materials you have to build your class and then yes depending again on who your book order person is you could maybe order a new set of novels and they might arrive anytime within three <laughs> weeks to seven and a half years and then you know you could adapt your syllabus accordingly but well, I, I mean I, I that's just been my experience there's there's always kind of a, a stack of books yeah. that determines what you're going to get to teach and, and we do teach with whole living books. Mm-hmm. As soon as a child is able to read one, starting at the end of first grade, you know, starting with Frog and Toad are Friends, oh, they'll man. then progress all the way through and have whole books in their hands mm-hmm. as they go Which, along. I mean, to also speak to it, and, and this is the last three, four years, the digital landscape for books is insane. Mm. Where I did have, I definitely had that experience the first school I taught at where you go in the book room, you got the list, you really can't diverge that much, but now all my kids have iPads with Kindle access. All of a sudden, I got any book. You can throw down anything that you want and give it to the kids, and it's a completely different story now. Mm-hmm. And it's also different for, you know, kind of modern takes on stories as well, because I know, you know, we're able to teach. It was huge this summer that Hamilton was massive. It, like, blew up across the world. We could teach that in the classroom right now with the script that Hamilton has. Like, that's available, mm-hmm. because it's all, it's all digital. Which is a completely different thing than we had to deal with before. I mean, like, because I didn't have any of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hamilton. I'm ready for it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So let's talk about what you are and what you aren't allowed to teach. So um, I want to... Can we talk a little about what allowed you're saying there? Yeah. So... um, Because that's that's a little different. So for when I was at a private school... um, you know, any type of explicit language was obviously not allowed. Um, even anything, you know, that seems suggest, seem suggestive of like so sexual like, tone well, you're was talking not like allowed. Content censorship. Yes, right? let's talk. Yeah, content censorship, and and we didn't. We had to take what we wanted to teach into the private school classroom, whereas at like a public and, and charter, you can go into a book room, and we do have designated like you're allowed to teach these books because we have them available to you and for all the kids and this is the grade level so we're not having repetition so that that's private public school uh, access so what 
is there something you would you can't bring into your classroom is basically what I'm asking or is there something that they say you must bring into the classroom um so I want to start with Judy um well like I said we um go through the entire bible if a child was to go through K through 12 and nothing is racier or <laughs> more <laughs> advanced Great point. than the bible and so there um Obviously, we would want to bring in things that were age appropriate mm-hmm. for a child, but there's nothing off limits. Again, as long as like you're maybe teaching they won't it, quite grasp the nuances of David and Bathsheba in third grade. Exactly, whatever. exactly. <laughs> but we not. don't. But we don't <laughs> no. steer away from it. We would still introduce the story. Okay. But when we would talk about adultery, it would be that someone was giving their heart away to someone else, mm. and that would be where it would end. But so I wouldn't say that there was anything that we couldn't bring in but there would be wisdom in what we would choose to put so before a third grader versus uh, yeah. versus a 12th so grader so it's not like you're censoring you're more you're you're, you're giving the context but in an age appropriate way exactly and if- and I didn't finish before when I was saying um, in K through six, they learn the facts. Seven through nine, they learn how to argue those facts with logic. And then 10 through 12, the hope is yeah. that they would then take all that and be able to present it mm-hmm. in a lovely and beautiful way, not just orally, but in written as well. And so that is the hope. So along that way, a lot of different things will come up and a lot of different um, things come up just in the world mm-hmm. that are then they'll come up in the classroom and we we will broach oh, so those bring subjects in, like real life events happening yes do you do that Matthew yeah that's you? a consistent theme so I mean in my class kind of a typical week it looks like probably three days are dedicated to the reading of literature and then two days a week I'm always assigning a piece of contemporary non you know periodical news article basically yeah and I always lean on the line that, um, let me see if I can get this right, that um, today's headlines are not without precedent and yesterday's literature is uh, does not occur in a vacuum. So I always want students to be able to draw a connection. So my 11th grade English class is reading Huck Finn. Mm. Yeah. And it turns out, even in the year 2020, we experience problems of racism, mm. um, economic Fairly injustice. You know, so, you know, it, it, um, it, it, it's amazing me how durable classical literature is mm-hmm. because every year I go back to the same set of novels and I think, oh, here, here it is. You know, today's headline just yep. plugs in directly. So I think that's a higher level thinking skill that especially for high schoolers that, and and it's the hook, you know, because they, why are we reading these old books? Mm. Well, because they're really the theme is still headlines. So, and if, and if we can't answer that question, then I think it's a fair criticism of students to say, maybe we shouldn't read these books anymore. There's there's a discussion that I have in my class every year uh, that I lead into uh, our discussion of whether or not I'm going to read To Kill a Mockingbird, mm. um, which is mm. the the context of To Kill a Mockingbird has changed a lot in how to have that discussion with students. And I decide based on how the students respond to this discussion whether I'm going to teach this book this year. And I've gone on and off and taught the I've taught the novel twice. And some years I don't teach it because the way the students respond to it, I think that if they're grasping the concepts in certain ways, it's a discussion we don't necessarily need to visit with To Kill a Mockingbird. And in which case I go to several other different novels I could use to talk about the same kind of topics. But it's that that's kind of the book that I would only think about. Wait, the other how instance, do you assess that? How do you decide? What do you ask Like going the kids? into detail? How do you go, yeah, how do you know if the kids 
should be reading that book. How we have a discussion about... But what's the discussion? About censorship, about whether certain things should be taught in a high school classroom. Mm. And the way students are responding to it, the maturity level, if depending on how they discuss it, I'm willing mm-hmm. to go with it or not. Because there are students that won't grasp what's happening in To Kill a Mockingbird when I do give it in context in ninth grade. They're just, And it's not worth having the discussion if they're not ready for it. And I also know I'm going to get them again in 10th grade. And if we need to have the discussion, we'll see if they can do it then. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have the discussion there. And you know, and the and then you know, there's always books that I can substitute in that'll be able to have the same kind of level mm. of discussion. So I wait, I see what the kids are going to say, and I respond to it. Right. I have a similar approach to Huck Finn, and I think it is wise just to kind of hold your literature selections with open hands. You know, I always have yeah. an asterisk at the bottom of my syllabus that says, you know, these things may be subject to change based on the class or yeah, yeah things that happen in I the have world. That too. And so <laughs> yeah, good old asterisk. Yeah. Don't forget it in your syllabus. Yeah. And the the reason I wanted to bring up like what we are or aren't allowed to teach in a classroom and the idea of censorship is because um, from, you know, what I've heard and seen, a lot of people think, you know, maybe private schools are not allowing certain things. Maybe they're being too sheltered. And I I like that. That doesn't seem like the case, at least from, you know, from your school and also with charters, Mm -hmm. you know, because you have private charters and public charters and, and charters get to kind of really have that freedom to decide so again are charters you know doing censorship and it looks like um there's a variety of things you can do you can teach huck finn you can teach to kill a mockingbird if you want you can bring in that spicy bible content if you want (laughs) (laughs) and so i i like that it's good to talk about what you can and can't do in regards to all three types of schools um, so let's move on to... I have one more... Oh, can I have oh, one more thought on sorry. that? Sorry, I'm facing the no, opposite okay. way of you so as Judy, I speak into Judy my microphone. Judy got to answer the question, and Matthew didn't get to answer. Uh, I have one thought on that, on the allowed and not allowed. So I don't think I've ever had a principal say, you cannot teach that book, or you must teach this book. I, I just... Mm. That's no. never been a conversation I've had. However, um, w- one reality that because I've been in Kern County now for eight years. So I'm just a quick anecdotal story, not scientific, doesn't, you know, won't hold up in court. But (laughs) um, I've taught world literature both in Long Beach and in Kern County, 10th grade world literature. Yeah. Um, I usually start, you know, with the ancients. So we'll start with Homer, of course. Um, But I usually work in a book of the Bible. So either the book of Ruth or the book of Job because they're short and they're you know, they're great for conversation. They bring up, you know, and like complex nuance. And they're the <laughs> oldest books in Scripture, right? Um, so in Long Beach, I did get called into the principal's office at the request of a parent because I was proselytizing the children by teaching them the book of Job, I believe it was that year. Yeah. And so the parent needed my assurance that I was approaching it as literature and I wasn't trying to share my belief system with the kids. And, you know, we, we came to agreement. The conference ended well, but it was a tense conference. I moved it to Hatchby. I already mentioned that I assigned news articles each week. The first week, I assigned one article from Fox News and one article from the New York Times, and I had a parent come to the principal's office and told the principal that I was a liberal and I was a progressive and I was trying to indoctrinate the kids so they would vote for Hillary by assigning New York Times articles. And again, long conference, tense, ended well when I, you know, was able to explain myself like I'm trying to provide a, a variety of perspectives. I'm never yeah. encouraging agreement. I'm encouraging critical thinking so you can detect bias and agree or disagree with it, you know, all that. But so all I'm saying is um, I don't, I've never encountered systematic censorship, but there's yeah. definitely cultural 
nuance that you know from a from a guy that grew up in the city and in in mm-hmm. Long Beach to move to conservative Kern County, I've had to become aware of of different mindsets that um, weren't obvious to me when I showed up here. Mm-hmm. Well, and I had yeah, I had a similar experience where I was doing a government unit, and I we were reading about from literature from a bunch of different people that came up with how our governments are going to work. So we read some Adam Smith, we read some Machiavelli. You know, I put forward some, uh, I don't know, something's from all over the place, and I threw in Marx. Mm-hmm. And I heard from a bunch of different parents that we shouldn't be reading Karl Marx because he was not, I'm like, we're examining all of them through this particular right. lens. When else do you want them to learn about Marx? You want them, like, how, when else are you going to mm-hmm. access this? Also because, like, you know, the sections we were reading from Marx, I was, I was trying to jumble in some stuff that he was throwing in about economies, which is usually pretty valuable to talk about. And that was the only time that I've ever had any parents kind of get upset at that we were reading Marx. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I've always had it kind of had to be careful when we're accessing that and how much we're accessing it um, to, ac- to, to kind of put it together. It's a different kind of approach. That's interesting because uh, I'm thinking back now and the only times I've ever had parents uh, ask not to learn something that we're going over in the curriculum was at a public school. And, and like I said, I, I started at a private school. Um, oh, and, and, and the charter. So I thought that's it's very, and I was teaching things in the private school that was, you know, I, I played the ask forgiveness game. So I was trying <laughs> to see how far I could push my boundaries and no one seemed to question it. So uh, it was only the public and the charter school. Right. So I, I don't know. Again, that goes back into thinking, you know, oh, you know, can public schools do more or, you yeah. know, and it looks like, you know, it can, it can't. It, it, it's pretty you can teach what you feel is right for your students as long as you can justify it and provide standards to say how, you know, this meets the standards and you're pretty much good all around. So let's move into uh, support for teachers. So a student is being like continuously disruptive and you have to send them out. Like you've, you've had their little one-on-one conference with them, you notified the parent, they still continue. Uh, you send them out to your administrator or your dean or whomever. So what is the outcome? Um, let's start with Matthew. Just called on him like a teacher yeah, right there. My effective filter went way up just now. Uh, <laughs> is that right? Um, I'm looking around the room. And well, I, <laughs> I don't have a neat and tidy answer for that. No, that's uh, a and again, be, so I will say, because I'm at a small school now, and probably because of the type of, because it's a charter and by and large families have chosen to be there and, and you know, they're idealistic in their approach to school. I, I haven't had a, this is, you're going to be mad at me for this, but I haven't had a discipline problem in like eight years. I mean, Because really. you're so pro now. Yeah. No, well, it's just, the numbers are smaller. And yeah, maybe it's because I had 37 kids in an un-air conditioned classroom in downtown Long Beach that, you know, 16 kids in an air conditioned classroom and yeah. Catchby doesn't seem that trying mm-hmm. um but but I'll, I'll back up so i if if there were or anytime there's there's difficult i have more difficulty with parents now than i do with kids i have trouble <laughs> with them every year so uh, yes. for some reason i offend them um i have i enjoy great support from my administrators but it's a very small administrative team yeah. and then if i could go back when i first started i said i started at middle school there's a dynamic at least where i was in middle school where the assistant principals who are in charge of discipline are young administrators who are cutting their teeth and trying to become principals. Yes. And so they are tougher than nails and they love to take on your discipline problems and just, you know, get you off the hook and the, the kid suffers some consequence or whatever. But 
That was my experience in middle school. Like the kid went, got marched to the office, the AP <laughs> took over, and we hoped for the best for the child, and they came back sometime later. And then in high school, when I was at a big public high school, um, us, and I don't know how this dynamic emerged, but whenever there was a distant problem, both the student and myself or any teacher, we get called in the office, and it was basically a trial. Oh. And it was like, which one of you is telling the truth? And it would be documented. It would go in the kid's file and it would go in the teacher's file. And then things would kind of, and it was one of the more, up. it's, you know, in my history of teaching, like one of the more upsetting dynamics, you know, because sometimes you want to say, You're I'm telling the truth because I'm 38 years old and they're lying because they're 15, you know, like, yeah. and, um, and that's okay. I lied when I was 15, but you know, let's call it what it is. And that's really shifted, um, I, I, you know. Yeah. That's a mentality yeah, that yeah, that's intense. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, that was a rant. No, that no, was, that was good. Yeah, that, that, was, that was good. Surprising, Matt. You wanna? Add? Oh, as far as well, I mean, you know, discipline and discipline's kind of up and down depending on what you're doing as a teacher. But I think for if we're talking new teachers, it's very different. I think the approach is way different for for principals that are trying to come in. But it's that same kind of experience where they're kind of assistant principals are usually willing to kind of handle it if you do call on them. Mm. Um, it's just if you consistently kind of call on them, then yeah. it becomes like a noted issue that like, hey, maybe you can't, you know, get mm -hmm. this kid to do their thing. But I mean, you know, and it's also like as a teacher, you kind of learn to handle it in different ways. Mm -hmm. But I think as far as I'll, I'll kind of jump in with the parent approach for administrators, because, you know, you're talking about, you know, there's not really any discipline issues with kids that are kind of causing the issues. It's a lot of times the parents and how they're approaching you. And I happen to be at a school that's really supportive of you know trying to get parents to shift into specific locations you know getting them to respond in certain ways to your conversations that are happening they keep you involved and they keep you notified if something is coming your way um, and I think that's kind of the key to it is as long as the administrators are willing to jump in and help you out when something is going down that's going to be the key mm -hmm. um, but as far as support goes the other side of it is we can do a lot because we have the union <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate to kind of go there, but like the union's also going to back up a lot. Yeah. As far as like if you do happen to like cross lines or whatever, the union a lot of times will back you up on it in a way that I haven't really seen in other places. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of different. And I know that's not necessarily always fair to say, but it's there. Yeah. It's true. It is there. You know, no one explained that to me before I made the jump from public school to charter school. I should have talked to Matt before I made the move <laughs> because I'd been at the charter school for a few weeks. And we had a math teacher who shall remain nameless, but he wasn't a great math teacher. Mm -hmm. And there was some incidents went back and forth. And then one day that math teacher was gone, you know, and I said, like, what happened to Mr. Mm -hmm. So-and-so? Yeah. And he said, oh, he's been released from his contract. You know, and, and I came out of 15 years of public school. Where I was like, isn't there going to be litigation? That? Is he going to be put <laughs> on administration leave? <laughs> Hasn't he just been reassigned to some, you know, other school? No, he was gone. So... Well, it goes with that, the, so that's a big difference with the charter, and and I'm sure you know. Well, you guys can yeah, that, that goes back with the pros and cons of you know what you can and, and can't do, um, and and what kind of support you're you're getting. Well, we haven't heard from Judy yet, so let's hear about your thoughts on this. Um, discipline at our school was um, easy because all of our parents go through a pretty rigorous application process. And in that 
Um, they take a parenting class. So that way we can all have the same verbiage as we are training the hearts of their children. And so um, as elementary principal, I did handle the discipline and I was, um, did my best to support the teachers in that uh, when they needed it, but it was rare. Most of the discipline was handled by the teacher in the classroom. When a student came to me, it was normally uh, something, a transition outside of class um, from PE back in, something happened. And so it would really uh, normally be one or two students, two or three, and they just didn't listen to one another. But it was always, everything we did was with the intent of training their hearts. And I was in the office several times when junior high or high school students came in and it was the same process and the parents were involved with it everybody was notified the child was uh, prayed over and with and just try to come to uh, what was going on at the heart issue that caused that behavior to happen yeah the reason i was asking this is because like i said we have the i had that three different types of uh uh, experience within the three types of schools when I was at the charter school is a very high performing school so if you were very much like maybe you got a warning and then you were out mm -hmm. of the school at the charter because they did have that application process so it was you, and the kids wanted to be in the school and at the private school we had a principal and that's it and the principal can't be asked to do all the discipline so the pro there was a lot of problems within that school because if a kid was acting up too much there was really nowhere to, they would sit in the office and do nothing because the principal may or may not have been there and then we did try to have a, a so like a social justice dean um, at that school and I and I, I really liked him but um, I had problems where they would send kids back to me saying well the reality is they're a little, they feel a little too comfortable with you. So make sure they don't feel like that anymore. Which, so the problem was always back on me, um, which is not something you want to hear from a, for, for a first time teacher. And whereas my public school now, we have two deans responsible primarily for social justice, AKA if you're acting up, you're going to the dean and you'd have to perform some type of Are you talking social about restorative justice? Oh my gosh, yes. So restorative justice. I'm sorry. I said social justice. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to follow along and I'm like, I don't know if there's a social justice principle involved no, here. No, no, no. I'm so sorry. That's a scary <laughs> That sounds like a well Although they do have to do with some social justice. But uh, no, it was restorative just justice. So they have to, it, whatever they do, they had to pay back. Not pay like, you know, but they had to contribute back to the school. So I have these different experiences. So that's why I really wanted to get your input on it. On the restorative justice, not well, the I'll social. Also say, I'll also say just to kind of throw out that the severity of the crimes that students are committing at the public school level is far more intense than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, where we're dealing with, like, murder, rape, and torture on our campus, there's a different form of justice that comes into play. And the restorative justice end of it is huge as far as trying to get these kids that have wronged the campus back into play. Mm -hmm. That system has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, like, you know, it is that I... It's kind of the continuation of the idea you were saying where... You know, they invite you into the room. Everyone sits around and tries to figure out what happened. Mm. Except for that this is on the other end. So the student's now been punished. You get brought into a room with everybody. Mm. You know, administrators, parents, students, teachers. Everybody's in the room together. And you all decide how to get that kid back on campus safely so that they can learn and function. 
and what steps need to be in place. And that's, that's a very healthy way of approaching it because a lot of times the kid has hurt someone on campus in a way that like they really shouldn't be allowed back here in that term, but they're here. And so you have to kind of deal with it. You have to deal with that's what it is, right? It's true. And I also have to say, um, Gina, I think you hit it right on the head with um, parents at our school are paying for their children to be there and to be educated to a certain level. And so a lot of um, things that would distract the kids from meeting that goal are already dealt with at home because they're understanding that they're there and their parents are footing the bill. And so they're going to rise to the occasion. See, I had that opposite experience where it was, no, 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 my parents are paying I can do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a, yeah, yeah, there's a different kind of vibe. <laughs> so, but it, no, you, you have to discuss school. that. That's right. yeah. You have to discuss the, the difference <laughs> of the approach, and it really comes down to the parent. Like, mm-hmm. if the parent says, no, we're in here, it's a privilege, don't mess up, which is a, what my charter school was like, um, versus the where we had a very low numbers of private school kids. They were really trying to get more and more kids, so they didn't want to, like, get rid of them. And so that's not really what your private school is doing. So if you don't have that mentality as a school, I think um, it's better. And at the middle school now, they uh, if a kid's really, really bad, we'll swap them with another really, really bad kid and hope that that kid is not as bad as the kid we got Oh you yeah, know, the, swapped with. Yeah, the devil you know. Yeah. Discipline strategy of, well, is that other kid that's the worst kid on this other campus as bad as the worst kid on your campus? Yeah. Right. Is it worth swapping them out? Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. a different that's kind a of question. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I you, would you say, never know. I would want a nuance too, just because I think some of maybe my previous comments made it sound like you know you got to deal with parents. Um, a lot of times, you're most involved active you know best supportive parents are the ones that you're going to spend the most time in the office Mm -hmm. even having you know what i would say is healthy conflict Mm -hmm. yes um so i would want to differentiate between uh an active and engaged parent versus you know a a home that you're you're actually you know Mm -hmm. i don't know combating you know in combat with so um and that and and this is why teachers are hard to please because you know at some schools it was man we just you have this 5,000 people school and 100 people show up for back to school night. Mm, what yeah. in the world? And then, on the other hand, you know, you complain when you have 400 people show up for back to school night because it's just too many. So, yeah. yes, teachers are just never happy. That's <laughs> yeah. the point I'm trying to make. That's so, why this, yeah. that's what makes this podcast fun. Right. <laughs> and you can't I, be satisfied. I'd also just like to say that um, because our parents are paying, it is sometimes difficult to protect our teachers because the parents do mm-hmm. expect a certain level of interaction with the teacher that sometimes cannot be met just because of time constraints. Yeah. And so um, it uh, that was a part of my job as well, was making sure that the teachers had healthy boundaries and um, that the parents understood that the teachers had those healthy boundaries. They were not always on the clock. Judy, yeah. that's not true anymore because in the age of pandemic, you can Zoom <laughs> any time of oh, day no. or night, any day of the week. You this were is, expected there to are no more boundaries, hours. no more limits. Don't you know this? This You're is a new world. Seven hours Healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries. Would you like to see the four emails I received this morning? Saturday morning. <laughs> no, that's what it is. That's All what day. it is. Matthew had some last night, or Matt had some at 10. We're going to pause the conversation and continue next week with part two of this episode with Judy and Matthew. 
We unfortunately don't have any teachers of the week this week, but you can totally nominate someone. No teachers of the week. I know. Very but sad. It is sad, but that's okay because you guys can go on our Facebook page, Those Who Can't Do Podcast, and you'll find all the ways you can contact us, including our Twitter, Instagram, email, and website, so you guys can nominate someone for next week. Uh, but until next week, my name is Gina, and this is Matt. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Woo!